guys, thank you so much for tuning in. You know, this is a follow-up from last week's episode. Unprecedented episode. Unprecedented. It never has never happened Never happened before. before. In the history of Maranatha Baba Church. And I would like to say it's never going to happen again, but I can't promise that. I can promise you that. But we, we would hope that it doesn't happen again. We would hope. We would hope. Yeah. Unless someone decides to throw a very big question very last minute. Yes. That goes on for 30 minutes. Yes. That, you know. Which is a little preview for what's coming. What's coming. Because we so, got a weighty question that's yeah. coming up in this we, podcast. We didn't get to an answer. No. But, <laughs> but we talked about but it for a while. we talk about it. So, so enjoy. you enjoy. Enjoy part two. So let me ask you this question. What topic is preached about in church now that was never talked about when you were growing up? Is there anything that's currently preached about in church now that was not when you were growing up? And is there something that should be discussed in church more but's not being discussed? Yeah. I think that something that w- that is more prevalent now that pe- that churches are addressing it more that was not something for me growing up was the idea of mental health. Anything that uh, revolve around mental health and was what, not previously discussed. No, nah, I you mean, feel like that's more now being discussed. Absolutely. Okay. And I feel like churches, youth groups, and 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 ministries are more intentional in preaching about those things because. Fortunately, as the world gets wicked and as lies are ramping out and people are not knowing what true is, is affecting a lot of people's mental health. Yeah. And so churches, uh, for the most part, are doing a good job or should be doing a good job at addressing those things. So that would be something that growing up I'd never, you know, never heard to listen. I mean, I'm not trying to to minimize things or anything like that or to, to make a light of it, but... Uh, for me growing up, if if I wasn't paying attention in school, I wasn't going to be prescribed medicine or anything, whether sure. or not it was needed or not, whatever the case was. For me at the time, what they would do, you, you get a spank, yeah, you know? And so because that was the way that they did things, it was not – no one felt the need of addressing things. You know, yeah. but now technology and, you know, observation studies and whatever – hints to the necessity of churches addressing those topics. So that would be like a good example of that. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I feel like there's more um, prevalent need for teaching things that previously maybe were accepted as just known to be biblical truth Mm -hmm. of re-emphasizing that because everybody brings everything in the question, Mm -hmm. right? So there were certain things in the Bible, I think, that were just solidified truths that in the Christian community in particular, people were like, yeah, this is truth. And yeah. so we believe we're not yeah. going to do this. We yeah. believe this. And now because of deconstruction of, of theology and because of people who are now considered to be, were considered to be in what many people call a post-Christian mm-hmm. culture. Um, there's so much necessity on the part of pastors and leaders to be preaching uh, again as they should anyhow, but again, fundamental truths in scripture that yeah. were once widely accepted yeah. in the church yeah. that now even in the church many people aren't yeah. accepting right which will lead to the second part of the question from me which i think that's something that churches should be teaching more now is that idea of holiness of being set apart sure because you as you're hinting our current culture in within in our current church culture is of inclusiveness and it is of embracing the culture now yeah. Uh, it is of embracing things that uh, the Lord, the Bible clearly calls wrong, but for the sake of being welcoming and inclusive and being a place where people can come, you know, uh, and I don't want to, you know, come as they are, you know, but stay as they are. Sure. You know, we will say church will be a place where they welcome people, however the stage of life they are, however they are, 
but we will say that once here, once under the teaching and, and, and the spending of God's word, that through the help of the Holy Spirit, that we will not stay as we came, that we will be transformed, right? That sure. we will change, right? But because of our culture, we really it's so inclusive and it's all about those things. You know, you find churches that are compromising true, that are that are that are not following the idea of being set apart. Yeah. And so that's something that I would say that we really need to that churches should be more proactively uh, yeah. addressing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I agree. Um, last question here. I have a question after you know the question. So two more questions, I guess. How do you predict church services will change in the next 20 years? <laughs> Look into the crystal ball. Yeah. 20 years from 20 now. 20 years from now. What do you think may be different about church services 20 years from now than what they are presently? This is this is what I would, uh, you know, my, my very finite wisdom. What I could see happening was a big push for online presence happening. And you will see a lot of churches going yeah. into an online presence. And then in 20 years, they're going to look back and see how it was, how the effect that that caused of separation, of not being in person, of not yeah. having that relational, and then going back to what we probably are today. Yeah. So I see in the next maybe 10 years or something, heavy presence online. And then in 20 years, uh, people being like, all right, maybe we should go back to being in person. Yeah. That's kind of what I, 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 I think now. Yeah. Will that be the case? I don't know. Yeah. Could be. And it could be, too. Uh, like, the church in the U.S., by 20 years from now, will certainly not be what it's now because of heavy persecution. Sure. That's, an, that's another alternative. Yeah. Where now we're not, we're not in buildings. We're in homes. Now we're not out there being like, everybody, look where we are. Now we're meeting in... And on underground underground homes, sure, you know, like other places in the world, like you know, possibilities are yeah unlimited. What do you think? Yeah, twenty years is a long time. Yeah, um, you know, and so I feel like <laughs> you'll answer it in twenty years. Yeah, one of one of the things I I would anticipate and hope would be the case is that the church will be out of here. I, yeah. I would love if the Lord came back within yeah. the next twenty years, and we're not here. Uh, but if I had to predict how church services will change in the next twenty years, I I would kind of jump off of what you were saying. I feel like technology is going to have a huge role yeah. on how the church, and I'm not saying it should change with that. I'm saying I think it will, though, that I believe everything's moving to more impersonal type of meeting, right? People are content watching online. Um, they're content staying home. I feel like as technology improves and as virtual reality improves, as people can almost um, – fabricate what would appear to be authentic mm -hmm. interaction face-to-face -face, but not face-to-face -face. yeah as that infiltrates our culture more and more and technology advances the temptation i think will be there for many churches yeah to allow that to substitute for in-person yeah. meeting with people and what it does then alleviates the budgeting needs of buildings and yeah. it alleviates the budgeting needs of of staffing, it, it eliminates the budgeting needs of you know activities for for fellowship and community because everything can be done virtually. I think that's a dangerous thing. I don't think that that should happen, but I think over the next twenty years that is going to be a temptation for the church yeah. to have happen, um, and hopefully that will not be the case. But if I had to make a prediction, I would say that's yeah. the way things are going. For sure. And I think a lot of churches will embrace that, yeah. and I think it would be wrong. Yeah. But I think a lot of churches will embrace yeah. that. So hopefully right. that is not the case. Yeah. 
So, so I, I just remember too, we, we, we do read these questions. Uh, we, we don't read these questions, right? Uh, they're on the spot, but there was one that we were, we found out. Uh, you want me to read it? Yeah, go ahead and read it. But I think that it's a really good question that okay. we're going to, I'm just going to answer briefly just by reading the test. Yeah. I'm going to let the word of God answer the question. But. So the question is, if God is sovereign, mm-hmm. if God is sovereign, does that mean he is in control of my sins? Yeah. And if it's not that, what does it mean about our free will? And so to answer that question briefly, without getting into a lot of theological things, I would just read what First James says in verse uh, 13. It says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So just right there, you know, he's answering the question. And then he proceeds to say, But each person is tempted when he is lured, and enticed by his own desires. Then the desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So So do you feel that all temptation is sin? No. Temptation is not sin. We can, you can be tempted, but it's not sin. Sin, sin is when you, when you endure, when you participate on the act that you're being tempted. Okay. So if the passage sense? of James says God doesn't tempt anybody, Correct. To sin. Correct. So we would agree, like, temptation of sin, God's not going to tempt anybody to sin. Correct. The question, though, about is God sovereign, does that mean he's in control of my sins? Yeah. Not necessarily does he tempt you, but is, it he, is he in control of it, like, as far as what Yeah, well, it will follow the same logic. If God doesn't tempt you, then he doesn't... Con- if it's not his responsibility for him to tempt you into... Like, if God is not a God that tempts you into sinning, right? He, he's a God that tests you, right? We, he can put us to test, but he doesn't tempt you into sinning according to this passage, right? Correct. In the same way, he isn't that, that because he doesn't tempt you, the logic then will follow that he's not in control of your sin. So what about like Judas? What about Judas? The betrayal of Christ. Well, let me give you another example. Let me give you the example of the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh, you will read, you will read that the Pharaoh says that the God hardened his heart. Yes. But prior to the Lord hardening his heart, it will say that the Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And then you keep to read the passage and you will find that you'll see that it says the Lord hardened the part of the heart of the people or the heart of the heart Pharaoh. of Pharaoh. So it is an aspect of like it's not, and I think it's in Roman to or not not in Roman, maybe it's in Corinthians that talks about people that that had this desire to to live in a way that was not honoring to God, and because they had put that they 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 held that view or they held that belief, the Lord gave them to their own desires. What is that in, in Corinthians or? Um, yeah. I think that's in I think that's in, um, in Romans. Romans, okay. But yeah. So that the second part of the question then that follows with that then is that free will? Like, does man have complete free will when it comes to their sin? I don't know if I will call it necessarily free will. I will call it sinful nature. Uh, it is our sinful nature that it is out of our control, to, or, or I shouldn't say it's out of our control. It is what is expected of a human being to commit sin. We're born in sin because of the fall. We're born in sin. That is what is expected. But isn't that ordained of God? No, that was not ordained of God. I would say that is not ordained of God. God didn't force Adam and Eve to sin, would you say that he did? I don't know that I would use the word forced. Well, that's... Would you say that it was part of the plan what, of God that Adam and Eve would sin? It's certainly the part of God and that God will use that to redeem the people of God. Okay. This is a bigger conversation. This, it is. It's yeah. a massive conversation. Yeah. I mean, 
because it brings with it the question of like Peter's sin. Yeah. When Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Yeah. Was there any possibility that Peter would choose not to deny Christ? Well, the argument could be said, God gave Peter a warning. And then Peter, obviously the Lord all knowing. It's a whole long conversation. Yeah, because if he has free you bring, will. Yeah, free will. If he has free will to choose you know, to not you have, sin you can't and Jesus even bring said up you're going to sin. Yeah. Did, he, did Peter, was it then God in control? Of whether or not Peter would sin, or was it Peter fully in control of his own? So, sin? so then, so then, if if it's, if Peter was not in control, it was not Peter's fault. If it was not Peter's nature of sinning, then it should he should he repent from that? Absolutely. But why? Well, because I mean, you're, we're, if we're talking about God is judge. It's just absolutely and judge. You're gonna stand before Him and say, "Yeah, God, well, I actually didn't commit sin." It well, was, did, it was, though. you ordained that for me. The question, well, that's what I'm asking. The question yeah. is, was there any possibility that Peter would not deny Jesus? When Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, I'm not going to deny you. Was there any possibility that Peter would not deny Jesus? I mean, I don't know. I wasn't Peter, but I can tell you that, <laughs> you know, if I put myself in the position, there is that aspect. I mean, if I put myself as Peter and you're Jesus and you're telling me I'm going to deny myself three times, I will take that to heart and say, no, I'm not going to do it. Now, if you read the test, that's not what Peter necessarily did. No, he denied him. Yeah. But he no, did I'm, deny him. No, I'm saying like that's not what he did when God told when Jesus told him, you're not going to deny me three times. He said, no, Jesus, I'm going to go till to death. Till yeah, death. he said, I'll die for you, yeah, right? for you. But he still denied him. He still times. denied him. But so the question is, was there any possibility that he wouldn't? But the, I mean, there could have been. But if he didn't, then Jesus would be proven to be false yeah but jesus was stating there what was going to happen as a four see this is a bigger conversation because my it argument is. would be yeah. jesus knew as a four that's a you know what's the word i'm thinking uh for knowledge that jesus and for knowledge meaning that he knows what's going to happen he doesn't stand in time so you and would so, think peter's so you would think <laughs> foreknowledge is god knowing this is what you're going to choose to do not necessarily this is what god has ordained will happen. So, so how do you how do will you describe? Let me ask you that question. Orda yeah. Ordaining sin. If God is ordaining sin, then who is the one at guilt for the sin? I would say that the man is man is solely responsible. But why for the for for sinning? But why? Because it was his doing. But but the if, question if 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 you have no option, if you have no if if it is something that has been ordained to do. Why is it your fault? Why because is there you, any guilt? Because you're you? the person who's committed the act. So, but it seemed more like you're the vehicle. Like the things were ordained for them. Like, like if my car is gonna go to Akron or to uh, Ashland, my car. I'm the one driving the car. Mm -hmm. I'm taking the car to Akron to to Ashland. My car is not responsible for getting there. I am the one driving the car there, right? Sure. So why should my car? be responsible for getting to Ashland if I'm the one driving it. I'm not following that example. I mean, I guess the question, the question goes back to if God is the one ordaining our sin and he's the one orchestrating our sin, why am I responsible for my sin? If he's the one doing the orchestrating and, and direction, if I have no choice, if I have no decision, why should I? Yeah, no, it's, be, a, it's help? that's, I think that's the question that is being asked here is, when you look at sin in the scriptures, and you can look at specific things. So, like, for example, 
Christ is said to be slain before the foundation of the world. Yeah. So this is eternity past, right? Like there is the plan of God. Christ is slain before the foundation of the world. So the question then is asked in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, tree of knowledge of good and evil. God says you are not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If Adam and Eve chose to never sin, what is the purpose of Christ being slain before the foundation of the world? What is the point of the tree of knowledge of good and evil that God put in their presence? So, so how would you describe foreknowledge? Is that even a thing? Because if things have been ordained to be, yeah. if things are 100 being ordained to, to be, yeah. then you will explain or foreknowledge as being things are going to happen as they had been orchestrated to happen. Would you, would you agree with that statement that in the plan of God, in the sovereignty of God, things happen as God has perfectly planned them to happen? Right, I would, I would agree to. It. I would so agree. Why so would that, that question? Ex- why would that exclude sin, though? Is what I think the question that's being asked. What would be the reason if God is sovereign? Why would we say, or why are we okay with saying, God is sovereignly in control, and all things will unfold according to the plan of God as God has ordained them to? But within that would be how can we separate from that something so major as the decisions of sin? So even what you use the example of Pharaoh letting God's people go, there's multiple examples in the plagues where Pharaoh was going to let the people go. And then it says the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart yeah, so that he would not let the people go. So there was a disobedience on the part of Pharaoh, right? But that was at the hand of God that he yeah. hardened his heart. When it comes to Peter denying Jesus three times, and Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times, Peter, right? Jesus is telling Peter this is what's going to take but place. The way the way I would put it, and again, if this has to be a, a greater greater picture speak, yeah. because those are something that you and I will defer theologically. But I would I would make and not to make this longer. I would I would I would explain it in, in saying that my my thing would be that in God's sovereignty and through His grace and through His redeeming plan, He has set out things for for us to be redeemed. From our mistakes, from our choosing, yeah. And so, in a sense, I'm incorporating in the sense of free will. In that free will, there is that aspect of responsibility of men. I have to be. I have to recognize that I am responsible for my sin that I, I committed that. against God. I agree with that. That God, in every as you know, you see the other, the other that with every temptation, that with every, you know, that there's a way out of it. That God providing His on unlimited grace for me to not be able to sin True. that to Peter God provided a way to Peter for him not to deny Jesus but Peter decisions led him and my decision will lead me to commit sin but would you say that that was make, the plan of God I don't know if that was the plan of God how can I know if that was the plan of God well that that goes back to the overarching question of if we can make a statement God is sovereign, so everything unfolds as God has ordained it to. If that is our overarching reasoning, then it wouldn't, in my, this is my opinion, it wouldn't make sense then to say, hey, God is sovereignly in control and everything will unfold according to the plan of God as he has ordained it to, except for anything that has to do with sin, because that's a major that's a major component of the overarching plan of God. I would even just, with Christ, I just be, right? I just would be cautious on how I would define that because I'm not saying that God didn't. I, my 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 hesitant is with saying that God orchestrated and ordained sin. 
sure. for you and I to commit sin because then you're putting the fault and the guilt in God. That's my. That's how I would I would I would in, in, interpret it. So the Bible is clearly in that we are the ones that can miss it. And we're the ones that we are, we stand before God, that there's righteous, not one, right? Correct. That we desperately need the, that we're desperately need the, you know, the, the, the grace of God in our life. Sure. If you remove the aspect of the, of, of the, if you remove your, your uh, decisions, if you remove the fact that you have a responsibility when you commit sin, then you're basically saying that God is solely and totally, responsible for committing sin. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that, that they well, think that's God's how, that's, committing sin. But I guess the question would go into So how does so that differ from saying, and, and we should be done, but how do you defer that? <laughs> this, like I said, how do you defer that from saying that God orchestrated and ordained? Like, what's the difference? Yeah, I don't know that I would use the words orchestrate or ordained. I, I would say that sin was part of the so totality what, what, what of the what does plan sovereignty of, mean? That God is... Fully in control of all things. So, but okay, I would so, believe. Okay, let's get more specific. Control. Yeah. What does control mean? To be, to to be or to orchestrate. He is authoritative over all things. He is the one that ordains what is going to happen and how it's going to happen. So you're saying that? So you will say that God ordained that on July thirteenth, seventeenth of two thousand ten, Bruce Rosa will do this this way. Yeah, I would believe in the meticulous sovereignty of God, that God is meticulously sovereign, that he is in control of all things, meticulously in control. So There's God is balance. in control of whether or not you make a hand movement. He's in control of whether you blink three times in a second. Yes. He's in control God's of in con- whether or not you put ketchup or not ketchup today. I would say God's in control of all things. And example, ketchup would be a prime example. We would look at something like that and say, that's ridiculous, unless you have a hamburger today and the ketchup you're using is contaminated and causes you to get sick and die, right? So someone gets food poisoning and they say, you mean God's in control if I order a burger or if I order fries? Well, then someone orders a burger and the burger's contaminated and they die from food poisoning. That's a pretty big event all of a sudden that previously, no one would think that's a big decision. If I turn left here or turn right here, I turn right here, and I get hit by a drunk driver, but if I turn left so, here, I don't. So what decisions are we making? Well, that's, a, that's the mystery, I think, that we don't understand. The balance of the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. My point is I don't think God is reactionary. God I is don't a think sovereign. He's, I'm not, and that's the thing. I, I yeah. think that the, a lot of times that someone who holds my views is seen as like, okay, you're portraying that God is reactionary. I'm not portraying that God is reactionary. I'm not saying you God, are. God, God has already, from the foundation of the world, clearly stated in the scripture, have prepared a plan of redemption for his people, right? But again, what is the point of the plan of redemption if God was not already that, certain that, that man it, was going to Well, that's sin. when we will defer, because I will interpret it differently than you would interpret it. Yeah, and that's yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah I, I think the question, though— could be is, another. That could the, be a round table. Yeah, that's the balance. I mean, trying to understand the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. To say man has full free will makes God very reactionary, because mm-hmm. that means that God's not. God is not the one in control of what man does. Yeah. And if that's the case, prophecy would be impossible. Um, you but know, no, nobody's here. Or at least I'm not here saying yeah. that God that that man is a hundred percent responsible. But you're True. also saying that God, that man has no responsibility. That could be the interpretation. So yeah. I, what I'm saying, it has to be a blend of the two. To what extent, I don't know. Yeah, that's. I don't think anybody does. 
I think that's what we have but to. But there has to be a blend of for sure. God orchestrating or our God from the foundation of the world being sovereign over everything and yes. then also the responsibility of men. If there's not responsibility of name, then there's no gift of sin. No, so. clearly man's responsible for their sin. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're responsible and yeah. will give an account for their sin. Yeah. How that... This is probably the longest happens. podcast we've ever is. done. It yeah. is. I was ready to be done. Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. it's one question. Yeah. We're like, well, well, one more question. We have to submit it. Let's I end with so. this one. Yeah. Tell everybody how you're five to ten, uh, the top 5% of men. Of men. <laughs> yes. Because you're the yes, strongest man of the fantastic. church. Uh, no, those yeah. claims were never made. Ladies and gentlemen, those, those Pastor Bruce right made. here. Bishop Bruce, it is top five percent in strength. Nope, that's not what I said. The the, the, the connect with <laughs> Pastor Bruce, uh, Pastor Steve Bogren, connect with Director uh, Sean Colelli. They will inform you more about the details okay. about Listen, I feel how like we, Pastor I feel like Bruce is five percent. I think we're leading 5%. we're leading people astray here. Yeah. Um. The the argument in strength. Just so everybody knows the argument is that has been made. And I don't even know, and I even said this, I don't know the accuracy of this. This is what was said on like a like weightlifting, fitness, like kind of like an um, advertised blog that said, if you as a human being, if you as a man can bench press your body weight, squat one and a half times your body weight, and deadlift twice your body weight, you would be in the top 5% of strength for men in, in the world because... Ninety-five percent of men cannot do that. That well, was the that was the claim. But based on that claim, you can do all of those things. Correct. I can do those things. Correct. So the, but here the it point, is, the point is, Pastor Bishop no, Reverend Bruce Rosa is top five percent. That's not. That's we not. We are blessed point. to have someone superior. See, listen, on can staff you do, can you do those things? I don't think I can. Okay. So, so I'm not that person. So this is so this is this is jealousy then. No, no jealousy. This is, it's admiration. This is jealousy. It is admiration that I want everybody on our church to admire how <laughs> how blessed we are to have someone in our in our church that is top five percent. No, not every day you meet a, t- a top five percent. And to put context to this, I introduced this. What is your life beyond the pew? I, I introduced this. <laughs> Because I was like, hey, we should take this challenge on as a staff. Well, it's not a challenge because you're already doing let's, it. Let's do this. <laughs> it's as not a staff. challenge. You're already doing it. It was to be an encouragement yeah. for oh, our staff. Oh, thank you. Because you're top 5%. Listen, I'm going to pray for Guys, you. Guys, thank you so pray, much for tuning in. Sorry that today we took so long. Uh, especially, Come back. Especially Listen, with the next last week question. won't be as long. Yeah, next week we'll make sure next we only answer two questions. Next week will not be nearly as long. We want to encourage you guys to submit questions to that number. That what is the number, Eric? 330, and then the remainder will be under the description. 331-6453. Nailed it. And then, uh, is that all? That's it. Okay. That's it. And then uh, we will encourage you to share this. If you haven't, share this with your friend, family member. Maybe don't share this one. This might be a long yeah, one. Too. a long one. <laughs> but if Steve Bogan was but, here, he wouldn't know the answer to this question. But what is the question we ask every We want to leave you with the question of what does your life reflect beyond the pew? What yeah. is your life beyond the pew? Yeah. And we hope it's glorifying to the Lord. Amen. See you next week. See you next week.